welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host, Julia Kermode, will empower you to succeed. Welcome to today's podcast, where I'm continuing my conversation with Crawford Temple, who is owner of Professional Passport, which is a company that tests payment intermediaries and umbrellas for compliance. If you listened to the last episode, you know we're partway through talking about the really big subject of umbrella regulation and everything uh, to do with that. And so today we are rejoining at a point where we're just discussing the total lack of enforcement um, currently within the umbrella market. You know, it does. I've always said it doesn't matter how thick you make a rule book and how much more legislation you put in if you're not enforcing those rules there's no incentive for anyone to read the rule book no and so you know everything comes back to enforcement because there's no enforcement there's no teeth providers aren't suffering it's only the worker that's suffering the worker hasn't got the resource to take on the revenue um you know there are arguments that if you're employed by a uk employer they are responsible for paying you the correct paye levels of tax And, you know, when you look at some of the schemes that are out there now, the, the original loan schemes, people actually signed loan documents, legal documents, and they look real. And we'll, mm. we can touch on some of the issues that's causing. But, you know, when you look at some of these new schemes, that they're, they're not even trying to get it real. They're just putting a, a label on something um, and calling it um, untaxed yeah. uh, and saying it falls into CGT or into this or into that or it's a loan or whatever. But there's no paperwork. And so from that point of view, where there's no paperwork, there has to be an argument that their employer is not um, correctly taxing them. In which case, how can you go after the employee? You've got to go after the employer for incorrect tax. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, the independent contractor doesn't necessarily understand that level of detail or to get the correct level of advice to fight that is obviously going to cost them more money than they would otherwise be able to do. And I think that's one of the the reasons is low flight, low hanging fruit that the revenue is going off. I just think it's fundamentally wrong. And yeah. just on the, the old loan arrangements, I don't know all the detail of it, but we're hearing, and there's bits emerging now, contractor who doesn't retire for 30 years. If I've been running a loan, but what incentive have I got to maintain all the paperwork or a trust for the yeah. next 30 years when I'm not making anything from it? Yeah. And the word that's coming out in the street now is that some of these are being sold off to other people. And because they were... Um, legal documents around it. These people are trying to recover the money. Oh, okay. Um, even so... though there were verbal assurances that that wouldn't happen. And I think Jesse Norman was challenged in Parliament recently to say, well, you know, we're hearing that these contractors now have been asked to repay the loans and they've just paid all this tax on the loans. Would they get any tax rebate? And he basically just, just dismissed the whole thing. So you've now yeah. got this absolute unique thing where someone's paid a load of tax on money that was classed as a loan, they're now being chased to repay the loan, but they can't get the tax back. So, you know, they, they're going to effectively have worked for nothing for however many yeah. years they were in those arrangements. Yeah. And people need to realise that the way these things are structured is not in the contractor's favour. It's for um, providers or other people within the chain to be making a lot more money out of it. Yeah, it's it's a total nightmare. All of this loan um, loan arrangement stuff is is just so horrible. And so you know, bringing back the point you were making about 
HMRC's got information on RTI, etc., then surely what matters to compliance networks and accreditors is that their members are paying tax and national insurance as, as they should. That has to be a primary thing, a primary measure of compliance. And mm. like you, why isn't HMRC helping helping accreditors do that? And, and you know, it, it just seems a bit... A bit basic and a bit of an easy win to me. So in your report, actually, you've got some other really good quick wins. Um, so do you want to take us through some of them? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at the compliance network concept, then obviously that's a journey that's got to be taken and there's going to be a time involved. I think the time frame would probably align pretty much to if you went down the route of regulation. So I don't think mm. it delays anything, but I think it provides you a more robust and long-term answer personally um and i'm not saying that you know i've got all the answers but no through but the... it certainly provides efficiencies and economies of scale for yeah. the ultimate enforcers doesn't it yeah and through the the conversations along that journey it would be tweaked and changed and amended to get it to something that probably would work long term mm. but it's a start point for the discussion which is just a contrary opinion to the the discussion on regulation yeah. um uh, so, but so whilst that journey is being undertaken to get to that final destination, um, my other thought is, you know, what you don't want to do is leave the sector as it is today um, no. for the next two or three years, which is probably the length of time that journey takes. Um, and one of the things that is really obvious is um, non-compliant providers like it when there's lots of shadows yes. uh, and the light is not being shone. Um, and and sort of we've mentioned this and and offered this and um, uh, recommended this to the revenue on a number of occasions. So the revenue keeps talking about all these different schemes and how it manifests in someone's pay and what they should look for and be careful mm. about. And what I've just never understood is why they don't just have a standard umbrella pay calculator on the revenue website, yeah. which has got a load of user-defined fields. So you can change your rate, you can change your hours that you're working, you can change the cost that the, the margin, the umbrella is taking, you know, everything. And then effectively, it will give you what your pay slip should look like or yeah. what you should be receiving. And you do that as an illustration. Um, so that what you would then have is if you've got, a properly benchmark illustrator that signed off by HMRC, then you would have, you would probably find that every provider would then try and align their illustrations to match that. Yeah. Because clearly the revenue would be saying, you know, if you're being offered significantly more than this, there's a lot of danger. The other thing um, that I think it gives a real benefit to is, you know, we get a lot of contractors contact us about all sorts of providers where they get something that doesn't seem right, they might have mm. read an article on our site and they'll ask us for information around it uh, to try and work it out. And quite often we're saying to them, don't touch it, don't go near it, because something clearly is not right here. We don't know yeah. what's going on in the background, but the numbers don't add up. Um, and so that gives the revenue the opportunity to have some fields underneath so they could create, the contractor creates their own sort of, uh, independent illustration based on the assumptions that a provider has given them validates it and if it's different they should have almost like a whistleblower position mm -hmm. where they can provide either a copy of the illustration that's been provided to them they could provide the name of the provider they could provide where it was different or whatever else and sort of 
I believe some contractors, I mean, some of the ones we we talk to feel really aggrieved about the way they've been misled or duped. Yeah. And I think there would be a significant number of them that would provide intel into the revenue, which would really help the revenue inform their enforcement activity and target it even more. And if they weren't proactively checking the data, it at least gives them some filters of who they should go and look at and check yeah. the data on. Um, so I think there's a massive benefit there. Now, in terms of building an umbrella calculator, well, listen, I talk to umbrellas we haven't built within a week. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, everyone has big, one. Yeah. yeah, this is not a big job, and the revenue of the tax authority of the UK, yeah. it can't be that difficult for them, and I don't understand why they don't do it, and it would be a million times better. It also, if, they, if they're attracting, and I think every compliant provider would promote it, because yeah. the conversation we have with the compliant providers is they'll provide some an illustration. The next minute, the person comes back and says, yeah, I'm not going to use you because this company down here tells me they can give me 80%. Yeah. And so they go off to that company. Well, every single compliant provider would be saying, right, go and have a look here. And it gives mm. the revenue the opportunity to put links to articles and everything, you know, yeah. and helps shine that light significantly. Um, and that is something that could be done almost instantly. Yes. Uh, and and has what I think would be a big impact. Um, another one we've got is a suggestion that we've made is a payslip checker. Yeah. I mean, how many payslips do we get sent all of the time? <laughs> oh, know? yeah. And, and loads of workers, when you look at the details on the payslip, you've got your year to date earnings, you go, so you, you know, it might be a, a bit more complex the payslip checker mm. but if a provider is giving you the payslip you can enter all the numbers as a show yeah. including year-to-date figures and everything else in your tax code and all that that's on the payslip and and hit the button and the revenue could produce what your yeah. your numbers should be um, and of course if there's a discrepancy there then clearly it can flag it up and the revenue you know you can provide the revenue with the same whistleblower stuff of who i'm using and what's happening and all the rest of it um, which would help inform, but it also allows someone to make sure, you know, what we quite often see, um, even though a payslip is a legal requirement for a worker to get it on or before they're paid, mm. um, we often see people not getting payslips. And what they'll do yeah. is they'll get a text message um, that says, you know, you're, you're going to get this amount of money. Yeah. And quite often the non-compliant providers um, are not providing payslips because they know the agencies will be asking for them as part of the due diligence. Oh, okay. And of course, mm. it will throw up the fact that there's a huge amount of untaxed yeah. money going through to give the work this. So a lot of it is done through text. There are no payslips. And what happens is when the agency says the worker will want these payslips, the worker has to go to the provider and ask them to specifically produce them. And we've seen examples where I don't even think the payslip is real right. um, yeah. and reflects what the worker has been paid. And you get to a point where you think, well, if they're going to lie about all these other things, well, why don't you just lie about everything? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the position that some of these providers are getting to. Um, and so that whole thing is making the due diligence incredibly difficult. And that, once again, is sorted out if the revenue is doing your intermediary and RTI checks. Mm -hmm. But it will also give them significant information if the workers are putting it, putting details in there, which they might be getting off as a text. They might not get it off of a formal payslip. Yeah. But, you know, the one thing I would say to every single contractor that listens to this is go register for a personal tax account. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, whilst people go, oh, I'm not sure it's difficult. Well, it's not. It's really easy. Mm -hmm. 
And because of real-time information, what you can check is that the information that the revenue holds on your pay matches what you're being yeah. told. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there are companies out there at the minute that probably aren't even doing RTI reporting. So yeah. you think you're paying all your tax and when you get your um, tax account, it will show you've not earned anything in a year. You know, some of the stuff that's going on, contractors, as a matter of course, should be registering for their personal yeah. tax account and then maybe quarterly just checking yeah, yeah. that the, the year-to-date figures and everything on their payslip match yeah. what the revenue's holding as they're earning. Absolutely. And, and that, the moment you've got any discrepancy, you know, alarm bells ring. Exactly. And I know I know it's boring and one of those things that never gets quite to the top of your pile, but I did speak to someone a couple of years ago now and she she was one of those people that weren't receiving payslips. She was getting um, her income sent through. It was being paid into her bank, but she was getting text messages and whatever. And turns out she checked her personal tax account and she there was thousands of pounds not being paid over which she genuinely thought was and she ended up with you know tax bill in excess of ten thousand pounds and you know it's good job she checked um and had she not have checked in a few years that would have been even more um and so and that's it so there are simple things contractors can do just to protect themselves and make sure things are right um you know if you've got a provider who is paying a load of your money as untaxed income and maybe you're not completely aware of it or don't really understand it you know if what you've been paid into your bank account doesn't match what the revenue says you've earned year to date have some alarm bells ringing yeah you know the only thing i suppose that you're taking out is if any contractors claiming expenses that won't necessarily show because they're tax-free yes if you deducted any expense allowance whatever else you've been paid as taxable income should match what the revenue is holding. If there's a discrepancy, then alarm bells ring. And the earlier you can spot that, the the better your position is protected. Because if you spot it after three months, then you haven't got a life-changing problem to resolve. If you're not even looking at it and it's two years, then it's a horrible situation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, one of the things I liked in your quick wins, um, and it's possibly the final point because I think time has kind of marched on, um, is in relation to you were suggesting um, a PAYE rate calculator. Now, for people listening to this, they're thinking, what earth is she on about? Um, but the one of the issues, I think, is that agencies get have a rate that they agree with their clients and then sometimes that rate is quoted as as x amount per day to be paid through an umbrella and then what people often don't realize is that that rate includes the overheads the on costs so employers that insurance and what have you so one of your ideas is to have an agreed PAYE rate calculator so that workers are always being told their gross pay rather than the rate that's paid to the umbrella. Have I explained that properly? And is that what you're on about? (laughs) Almost yes and sort of. Um, (laughs) I knew it wouldn't be 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what we saw, and, and this idea came out a few years ago, and actually we proposed this under the consultation that resulted in the key information document. Yeah. Um, and what we saw when um, off payroll came into the public sector, um, we got involved in a situation because umbrellas quite often unfairly get targeted with negativity. Yes. Um, that actually is nothing to do with the umbrella. It's often to do with how money's presented. Mm-hmm. You know, an umbrella can only pay in the way in which they the 
you know, depending on the rate they're receiving. Yeah. And what happened was one of um, uh, an umbrella company um, had taken on all these workers, and I can't remember the numbers, so I'll just use random numbers mm -hmm. as an example. And so these workers, I think they're in the NHS, were being paid, let's say, £20 an hour. So the roles were being marketed at £20 an hour. There was another agency that was marketing the roles, and they were marketing them, at, let's say, I don't know, £15 an hour. Yeah. Um, don't do the mask, it probably won't work <laughs> up. I'm just giving the uh, numbers off the top of my head. Um, and so, of course, all the workers went, well, blimey, I could get £5 an hour more yeah. by going to um, this agency. So this agency ended up signing up tons of workers um, and they put them through the umbrella. Mm -hmm. Now, what ended up happening by the time the employment costs and everything were done, it ended up they were actually paid less, slightly less than the rate the other agency was offering. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. But the other agency's rate was a PAYE rate. Mm -hmm. So they would have been better off taking that. But from the worker's perspective, where they haven't got the knowledge of these things, they were comparing two rates that they thought were the same yeah. and picking what any rational person would do, which is picking the one that's best for you and the 20 quid looked the best one. Yeah. Um, and this has often been um, a, the, the basis for lots of negativity around umbrellas. You also get the arguments about why am I paying the employers NI because people perceive that yes. their rate run the umbrella income. So it's always created the, these big issues in the sector. The kid document was designed to resolve that because it's supposed to show everything transparently, but I'm, I'm not sure it's simplistic enough for people just to look at it and understand it. Yeah. And so our proposal has always been that when a role is advertised, if the rate used is anything other than a PAYE rate, then um, there is a way that you can back calculate any uplifted rate to show um, an equivalent PAYE. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look on uh, professional passport hot topics, there's a document that we've done with Low Income Tax Reform Group yeah. um, called Working Through an Umbrella. You might be able to put a link or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and... Um, Within that document, we've got uh, and uh, Low Income Taxes Reform Group, which is part of the Charter Institute of Taxation, validate it all. And within that, there shows that if you're offered this uplifted rate, then effectively this is what the equivalent PAYE rate I is. Mm -hmm. um, so we've already done the calculations with the Chartered Institute of Taxation and worked it all out. And our proposal is what you could do is provide a set calculation to the sector, uh, to all recruitment companies, and say, if you're marketing anything other than a PAYE rate, then you have to present what we call a benchmark PAYE rate. Right. And so what it gives is a number on every job advert that is common currency. Yeah. Yeah. And contractors, when they're looking at a role, see a common currency. There is an argument now with off payroll and changes in umbrella working that you could also present something like, you know, the the initial um, uh, status in relation to R35. Mm -hmm. I know that sometimes, you know, the contractor's position may change that. But if you had the sort of a guidance to status, then that would help as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if it's umbrella workers, you know, you could you could ask the recruitment company to give a position around supervision, direction, and control because that also yeah affects the value of an assignment. So for me, there are three things, three pieces of information that a contractor needs to 
work out the true value of any assignment offered. And that is what is the actual rate they're going to get, mm-hmm. not the umbrella income. And what is the status, either the IR35 status or supervision direction control. And there was a case recently where there was a worker took, uh, they were on the South Coast and they took a role um, in the Midlands and they couldn't commute to it. So they had to travel up on a, I think it was a Sunday night yeah. and they stayed in bed and breakfast through the week and then travel back. Um, but under the rules of supervision, direction, control, um, that was a single place of work and treated as a permanent workplace, which meant none of those expenses they were incurring were allowable, oh, which had an impact on the overall value of the assignment. Yeah. And it works like, well, if I'd have known that in advance, I'm not sure I would have taken it Absolutely. or I would have negotiated a different rate. And so there's there's bits of detail underneath it that workers aren't fully aware of that will significantly impact on the amount of money they're taking home. And I think in those areas, you know, the market is sophisticated and mature enough now to be able to determine those things or should be able yeah. to determine. Yeah. And so that a contractor, when they're looking at a job site and they're comparing 50 different assignments, they can see which one because you know if they can claim expenses because um it's allowed um then obviously they can look at site uh, jobs um or assignments or roles that are more widely based yeah yeah if they can't and they're going to incur a lot of expenses then they're going to look for a higher rate or you know so you're removing a, a, a contractor's ability to negotiate correctly by disguising what the true status of it is and the impact of tax on it yeah and this is where as you say the key information documents should be helping but like you i'm not convinced that they are and what what um what i find quite annoying about them is that they that they only need to be illustrative which in my book means that they could just base it all on minimum wage and then that's <laughs> that's that's no help to anyone yeah. but the the other thing that i think they've missed a trick on and having said the last point will be the last point this is one of my hobby horses so i'm, I'm gonna keep going if um Go if that's okay. i wish that the key information documents had included something that says whether there is a, a commission being exchanged um between the agency and the umbrella or rather from the umbrella to the agency in relation to that to that worker and you know I know this is a big subject so it's a bit wrong of me to ask you to to give your views in in a short period of time but what are your thoughts on that? Personally I hate it you know my my position in business is you know your business model is your business model and you shouldn't have to rely on someone else's business to fund yours Mm. uh, or take a piece of the action it also it sort of blurs the the moral and yeah. all the rest of it. Um, the difficulty we always have as a compliance accreditation is you cannot overstep a line that um, enters requirements around a, um, a provider's commerciality. Obviously, yeah. And so, mm. you know, otherwise you, you open up a whole can of worms. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to put our own standards around that to make sure that it's, it's done in a way that's, um, I suppose, transparent and protected against legislation. Yeah. Um, the problem is there's nothing you can do that discloses that down to a worker and there's no requirement to disclose down to a worker. And I agree, that's a great shame. Um, the problem that you've got is that, you know, we now see companies that don't call it that and they charge an annual fee yes. because it's part of their due diligence fee and all that. So yeah. it's one of those things, which is how on earth you define it in legislation because, if you define it too tightly, people just sidestep and call it something else. Yeah. Um, 
but you know the, the the reality of the situation is the umbrella providers that are operating compliantly are doing that on very tight margins mm-hmm. um you know and and the other people in the chain are making a lot more money than the umbrella um but in all cases everyone's trying to drive everything down to the umbrella all the liabilities yeah. everything um and so you know from my point of view i would love to see that wiped out i think that drives a lot of non-compliance um so where you've got rebates going to agencies you know we're seeing or have seen some massive numbers being paid to agencies from the tax avoidance companies because you know they're not having to have any detailed processes in place because they don't care um you know, they're charging the workers significantly more than a compliant umbrella because all the workers looking at is the net take and pay. Um, And they're bunging people large amounts of money to make those introductions and that's how they get them. So it just, you know, every aspect of it drives all of the wrong behaviours. And, you know, in some cases where people are trying to buy into PSLs, I think that's driving behaviours that you're seeing reported, you know, around you know, are the correct deductions being made or whether holiday pay is being nicked or anything like that. Mm. You know, they're, they're presenting themselves as low margin, but actually they're building up a marketing fund through what should be the contractor's money. So I think that the fact that they exist just um, delivers too many negatives across the sector. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do wonder if it can be reversed and if agencies can be liable for the recommendations they make through their PSLs. But, but that, that's a whole other subject. I, I don't know. Um, well, in theory, they are under the off payroll in a way, mm. uh, if it goes wrong. Um, <clears throat> but it's, you know, at the end of the day, there's a fine line that you're walking because from the revenues perspective, they want companies to have some form of due diligence and accreditation. Otherwise, if you got rid of all the compliance standards, um, then you return to the Wild West. Yeah. Um, it becomes a nightmare. So they've spent probably the last 12, 14 years trying to get compliance on the agenda. They've now successfully achieved compliance on the agenda. Um, and what they've actually got to do is now chip off some of those rough edges to get it right and some of that is quite simply um involving the fact that they need to um you know what we were talking about earlier they need to help the compliance reviews hold their integrity and become more and more and more robust by working closely with them um and i think if you do that and then start giving some guidance out and yeah if you made it transparent um about whether any monies were going back or whatever else um i think some agencies would be embarrassed about that mm-hmm. and i've talked to people in agencies because a financial director of a company you've got to remember has got an obligation to return the best returns they can for the shareholders of that yeah. business so you know i've talked to financial directors of recruitment companies who don't like the idea of these commission structures but say but actually under my obligation as a financial director of the business I'm losing, you know, a million pounds of income into this business that's pure profit if I don't do it. Wow. Yeah. And course. so there are there are loads of dilemmas. And so I think it has to be addressed at a much higher level um, than just sort of a, a moral obligation. Mm. So I mean, really, 
None of this stuff is kind of new, and I promise you this is going to be the conclusion because <laughs> we, we're kind of over time, but, but none of this is new. And I would say um, better enforcement is clearly needed. What would be your final words in maybe two minutes? I think, yes, I agree. Um, enforcement is absolutely critical and informed enforcement. I think we've got the market to a position where, you know, it can even, we can make the next step up mm-hmm. um, if we, if, we get the revenue on board and everyone on board um, and get it tighter. Um, And I think we've got to identify where there are these conflicts that create the problems. I think the the one thing for me that really stood out was the all-party parliamentary group um, uh, review into the loan charge. Mm. And one of the comments they made was that for years, the, the relevant departments have been informed of the negative impact or unintended consequences of legislation and yeah. they've ignored them. Yeah. And I think that's the key point. You know, they keep putting consultations out, asking our opinion. We spend a lot of time um, providing what are true and honest reflections. They ignore it and press on regardless. Mm. And then you end up with 28 bits of legislation to solve the unintended consequences that everyone told them would happen if they did it that way. True. And, you know, the, there's got to come a point where they're working with us and understanding it. It's such a shame because there are so many people within the industry um, who want to help, who want to make things better. And, and you know, I think we're ready for change. And it's so frustrating that that, that there isn't that collaboration with, with the powers that be, really. Let's hope let's hope that we're on the cusp of, of a change. Um, but, I mean, really, thank you so much for your time this morning. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, okay. And I'll put your report and the other things that we've spoken about on the kind of stuff that goes with this episode but yeah massive thank you let's catch up again soon no problem at all thank you for listening to empowering agency workers hosted by julia kermode for more information on today's discussion please visit iwork.co.uk where you can also join our growing community we hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did then we would love you to subscribe rate and review our podcast we'll be back at the same time next week